0: Morning, Kay. Hey, Tom. Hello, Hi, Dennis. Bob. Um... morning, Reverend Hollis, haven't met you yeah. <laughs> Robert and where's Lois? Good morning, hey, everybody. I'm so glad to see everyone. all <laughs> are. Good morning, everybody. I hate to meet you all when you're having this wonderful time to greet each other. So Reverend Gretchen Haley was a public guest a few weeks ago in our church. Hear these words from her today calling us to worship. Give up the fight for some other moment, some other life than here and now. Give up the longing for some other world, the wishing for other choices to make. Other songs to sing, other bodies, other ages, other countries, other stakes. Purge the past, forgive the future, for each come too soon. Surrender only to this life, this day, this hour. Not because it does not constantly break your heart, but because it also beckons with beauty, startles with delight. If only we keep waking up. This is the gift we have been given. These body clothes, this heartbreak, this pulse, this breath, this light, these friends, this hope. Here we remember ourselves. All a part of it all. Giving thanks together. Come, let us worship. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Durango and our online worship space. I'm Bonnie Miller, a member of UUFD, and today's volunteer host for the Sunday service. Community and belonging are so important to each of us in all times, but maybe especially so right now amid so many challenges. We are determined that different spaces and circumstances will not become limits to our working together for more justice and more love in our own lives and in the world. Our covenantal relationship with one another sustains us in doing so and in building our capacity for love and connection.
1: Let's begin with a trip back in time. If you'd like to join me to your childhood, whether your childhood was 50 years ago, five years ago, or you're still in the middle of it right now, I have a question for you. What is the first thing that pops into your mind when you think about your childhood doctor? Are you remembering a voice or a face? Maybe a simple color or a texture or smell? Maybe it's a remembered physical sensation of pain or of comfort. Perhaps you're thinking, we didn't go to the doctor. We didn't have the money. Or maybe you're thinking, we went to so many doctors because of an early medical condition. So many doctors, which one? Our early experiences with medical care may vary widely, but they tend to make a lasting impression. Given that, what did you learn from your childhood doctor? When I think back to my own 1970s childhood, my first doctor memory is of Dr. Roberts, my dentist. She of the shiny gold rimmed glasses and the shiny lipstick. I adored her, which is saying something for a childhood dentist. From her, I learned to expect a doctor who is kind and gentle, and that going to the doctor can be something to look forward to. And then I remember Dr. Crone, she of the crazy bird nest hair and these intelligent, intent brown eyes. She was sitting across from my middle school self, patiently and respectfully answering my many questions about an upcoming medical procedure. And from her, I learned that it's normal to have questions about your health care and normal for your doctor to take the time to answer them. I'm grateful for these early experiences and aware that not everyone had a positive childhood relationship with medical care. As a child, I knew that my doctors were women, but at the time I didn't realize that was unusual. 125 years after Elizabeth Blackwell became the first woman to graduate from medical school in the US, this is in 1974 during my childhood, Did you know that just 22% of students entering medical school were women 125 years later? In 2020, we finally reached gender parity with medical school admissions, but parity is not equity and male physicians still make up the majority of those in practice and in the highest paying specialties. It wasn't until I became an adult that I began to understand the tremendous gift my mother had given me when she sought out women as my childhood medical providers, again and again and again. Because in addition to learning that doctors are shiny, kind and gentle, patient and respectful, I also learned that doctors are women. But in the 1840s, Uh uh-uh. When Elizabeth Blackwell first began pursuing her dream to become a doctor, this was not the case. At that time in this country, as you likely know, doctors were all men, white men, and usually from wealthy families. Blackwell's family lost their wealth during her childhood, and she went to work as a teenager to help support the family of 11. Yes, 11. Um, but her parents still believed in educating all of their children, not just the boys at a time when education for girls was extremely rare. So Blackwell was formally educated and she was raised by parents who were social reformers and abolitionists. So she grew up on dinner table conversations about slavery and child labor and women's rights. As we learned in the story, Blackwell was not initially attracted to medicine as a career. She started out her professional life as a teacher, and it was during this time she had that famous conversation with Mary Donaldson. Mary was in pain and dying from what retrospectively is believed to have been undiagnosed uterine cancer. Donaldson admitted to Blackwell that she had been too embarrassed to describe her symptoms to a male doctor and told her friend that she believed she would not have suffered as much if her doctor had been a woman. As you can imagine, it was not only, as we learned in the story, before and during medical school that Blackwell experienced resistance to her ambition to become a physician. Society's reluctance to accept a female physician continued throughout her lifetime and beyond. After graduation, she was denied opportunities for postgraduate study in the US, so she traveled to Europe to work and study. When she returned to the United States, she was again denied numerous positions and did not have the thriving medical practice she desired until years later. After she and a group of friends including her sister, Dr. Emily Blackwell, who was the third woman to graduate from medical school in the U.S., they opened their own practice, which grew into the New York Infirmary for Women and Children. It was established in 1857, and this institution and the later affiliated Medical College for Women provided medical care for the poor and training and experience for women doctors. Later in her life, Blackwell left the New York Infirmary and returned to England, where she continued championing opportunities for women to study and practice medicine. Whenever we look to history for heroes, or shall I say sheroes, I believe it's important to remember that the historical figures that we recognize as firsts, they did not achieve their successes nor suffer their failures in a vacuum. Elizabeth Blackwell had contemporaries. She was not the only first. The first black woman to become a doctor in the US was Rebecca Lee Crumpler, who graduated from medical school 15 years after Blackwell in the middle of the Civil War. And after the war, she chose to move to Virginia to provide medical care for enslaved people who had recently been freed. The first African-American man to become a doctor, this was a little bit before Blackwell's time, this was James McCune Smith. He was denied admission to medical schools in the US because of racial discrimination. So he went to Scotland to earn his medical degree and then returned to the US to serve. During my reading, I also learned about James Miranda Stuart Barry. He was born in Ireland at the end of the 1700s, birth date a little unclear, and received his medical degree in Scotland 37 years before Blackwell received hers in the U.S. Over a long prestigious career, Barry rose through the ranks of the British Army to become Inspector General in charge of all military hospitals, the second highest rank for a medical officer. You may be wondering what he was first for. He lived his entire adult life as a man and it wasn't until after his death that the public and his military colleagues learned he was named Margaret Ann when he was born and was raised as a girl until he left for university. Although there's little direct documentation, primary source documentation of his gender identity and some controversy, He's thought to be the first modern transgender doctor. Throughout her professional life, Elizabeth Blackwell combined her views on medicine with her views on morality, and she often received criticism for it. She advocated for both the scientific approach to medicine, as well as the importance of empathy and compassion, and she did not hesitate to demand economic and social justice in her medical lectures. In response, the medical establishment often dismissed her views as too feminine. Blackwell was born into a Congregationalist family. Her religious identity changed during her early life from Congregationalist to Presbyterian to Episcopalian and then Unitarian. And it was through her Unitarianism she was exposed to Transcendentalism. And she continued to reference both throughout her career. When Blackwell was in London during her first few years as a doctor, she attended a gathering of Unitarians and is quoted describing them as a little less transcendentalist, certainly, and a little more style, but still the same spirit. During my research, I was frustrated in my efforts to pin down Blackwell's views on such controversial subjects as vivisection, eugenics, and contraception. I found multiple conflicting reports and brief references, but little in-depth exploration of her scientific and moral positions. I found myself wondering if the lack of substantive information was a result of insufficient research on my part, society's superficial interest in Blackwell solely as a first, or some combination of this and more. Regardless, I believe Blackwell and I likely would find common ground in the fourth principle of the Unitarian Universalism of the 21st century a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And I'm grateful to her for the through line that I see between her 1840s persistence in achieving a medical education and my mother's 1970s persistence in finding female medical providers for me. What's the connection you see between yourself and Elizabeth Blackwell? Benediction today is from Hillary Allen, Congregational Consultant with the UUA. Gracious one, keep watch on the innovators, the trailblazers, the takers of risk. Invite us to be persons of vision and integrity. Help us to remember the mystery from which possibility is born. Lead us to honor the sacred space where ministers, idealists, and realists meet encourage us to imagine more than just what is fill our hearts in times of discouragement keep our eyes on the long now through our efforts let us know the fruits of a connection and a deeper faith go in peace